Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So welcome, everybody, to another Macklin's Take Lockdown Bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed the last one, the first one of these that we sent your way, just in a bid to help you pass the time a little bit more comfortably, a bit more enjoyably. That one picked out the theme of trainers, of course. This one concentrates on promoters. And we go back to old podcasts that myself and Matt have done with Callis Sowland, Frank Smith, Steffi Bull and Lee Eaton, who between them have promoted boxing at every single level and who have encountered every single scenario that you could possibly encounter. We really enjoyed these. And thanks again to our technical guru, Darren Reese for stitching this one together. Hope you enjoy it. Oh, the shark, baby. Has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie, babe, and it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark bites, well it's teeth. So what I've always wondered about about the promotional game is is what you need, what kind of minerals you need to be a promoter because it seems to me that you need a blend of, of, of different things because you look at the kind of people who do it, yourself and Eddie, people might think you're fairly similar. Frank Warren, Barry Hearn, Bob Arum, Don King down the years in America, Al Heyman, these are some very diverse kinds of personalities but they must have quite a lot of things in common because to survive uh, and to thrive... There must be there must be some things you need. I, I, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head in the question. I think the the first thing you need, the first mineral, as you put it, you need is um, is survival, uh, the survival uh, the survival skills, I guess, because uh, you know it's it's not about standing there and doing a press conference or uh, doing a um, doing a weigh in or even putting together a fight. It's it's actually surviving it's surviving the problems it's surviving day to day trying to trying to work out the best move and, and getting you know it's a competitive business you know like it's a very competitive sport it's a very competitive business outside the ring and um matthew will have his take on on his dealings with different promoters and managers and over the years uh and you know it's it, it, ultimately they're all if you Want to look at one mineral that everyone has? They're survivors. I mean, you know, if you look at Don and, and Bob, especially, who's still going full steam. I mean, I don't know how old he is now. I think he's 85, 86. And, you know, he's, for me, one hell of a character. They're both characters. Um, and I've had the pleasure of working with both. Uh, I've got to say, you know, Don, of course, he has, a, he has a certain reputation that precedes him. But I've worked many years, and I think. Growing, growing up as a promoter, I've been, I've been in the promotional game now twenty odd years. Um, I, I did many years with Don King, uh, many years with Don King doing Valoev uh, all over the place. We did a couple of other fighters together, and you know he was a tough guy to get the deal done with. 
But once you got the deal done with Don and you went on a promotional bandwagon with him, it was, you know, it was an incredible learning experience because no one could replicate that. If I did the things that Don King did, you know, he goes in the restaurants, has his own paparazzi with him, you know, just to create a fuss. He was the ultimate promoter in that sense. So that, you know, I think if you look at like Eddie today, he's very witty guys, and you know, he's this no context turn now flying about, and, and, and Ed's great fun, you know, he's great fun. We've had a few nights out together as well over the years, and he's a, he's a great character in and out of the ring, and I think he's great for the sport. You know, Frank has his style, you know, putting together very good fights over the years. Frank's was or is one of the best matchmakers, I think, in the business. He knows that right time. I'm just thinking about that Jeff Lacey Calzaghe fight sticks out for me uh, as a fight where he knew. He knows the right time to put them together, Frank. He's very good at that. Uh, Barry's also... Costa Sue was a good one of his, yeah, wasn't it? Costa, Costa Zoo. Costa Zoo, yeah, that's a great example. That's great, a great example. But, and there's, you know, be countless ones of those. But ultimately, um, I've got to say, uh, all those, these promoters have, have got very... They've got their own skill sets, so they're all unique. You know, you couldn't compare Bob Arum and Don King are, without any question, shadow of a doubt, the biggest promoters the sport's ever seen. So... Those are the ones that you sort of emulate to as a young promoter, but or aspire to in a way. But could I recreate? You know, don't, unfortunately, I ain't got the hair, and uh, and Bob, I I haven't got the uh, good fellas accent, as you put it. You know, uh, he's you know he reminds me of they're big characters. And we try, I just try to be myself, and and I think Eddie does a like I said before, he's a great funny guy, uh, and I don't think he puts that really on. I think it's quite natural. So. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very individual skill set of minerals, but all of us have to be survivors, and you just have to take it a day at a time. You just don't know what's next in boxing. You wake up and you think, how the... Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. How the fucking hell is that possible? Right? You know, there was recent things, you know, people talking yesterday about the franchise champions, and, you know, I was being sprung questions yesterday. I was with you, Matthew, and it was sprung questions from, from media about, what do you think about a franchise champion? What do you think about... Devin Haney being promoted to, and I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down, man. I'm, I'm in the middle of a fight week. I've, I've got my brains on fight week, and now you're asking me questions on things that I've got no idea about. I've never even seen Devin Haney live, so I don't even know anything about it. But that's the fast-moving nature of the game at the moment with social media, where you know, overnight you wake up, you've got the timeline with the news from America, so it doesn't sleep. But you've constantly got that battle in this sport um, to survive and. You know, I'm sure you're going to go and ask me a few questions how this season has been in the first season of the World Boxing Super Series. And it has been, you know, always a question of how do you get to the next step. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the game. Well, I mean, it's, it's an ever-changing landscape, isn't it? So, it, you, Absolutely. you know, you th- it's not about, even if you're trying to explain to someone, you can't say, look, learn this and you've got it sussed. Because it, it's impossible. It's like, you know, guiding someone's career even. It's yeah. like, well... You can't it's, it's to give even a blueprint. It's like I don't know. It's but I've been I've been around a long time. I've been very experienced. Been around a lot of people and involved in a lot of different scenarios. Seen how they played out. How some went well, some didn't go well. I just know that I'll know the right thing to do at the yeah, right time. Yeah, and yeah. you know whether you offer someone five fights in the first year or ten or X amount, it's really there. And this is what I would try and say to kids when we were talking when I was managing and things. It's like. The money's great and you want to get the best deal you can, but the most important thing is that you're getting on the right ship yeah. with the right people the right, the right to job. guide your yeah. career because yeah. the things are going to change. Yeah. Right now, this promoter have a, might have a, net, uh, a deal with this network, Correct. but that might change in five yeah. years. But the bottom line is you're going with the people yeah. that can evolve yeah. and move with the times. 100%. If you look at the last couple of years, I mean, let's, let's take America. America is still the... I guess the, the biggest revenue market out there, isn't it? You know, um, and you look at it a couple of years ago, you had HBO and Showtime, yeah? um, and you know HBO was locked up with certain promoters, and uh, actually the boss of Showtime, Ken Hirschman, went over to HBO. Uh, Showtime then sort of went on the, the PBC Stroke Heyman side of things. HBO had everything else, but the budgets were, you know, they were they were pretty much frozen apart from the pay per views. You know, so it was the same budget you had ten years ago, and it apparently was even going down a bit. Suddenly, overnight, ESPN get involved. Then you've got DAZN coming on board. Then you've got UFC departing from Fox and Fox Sunny taking on on boxing. HBO departing from the scene. The, the, the whole thing is, you know. It, it, I mean, heavyweights. Look at the prices at the heavyweight division at the moment. You know, the the, the, the purses. You couldn't you couldn't make have thought about that two three years ago. It's just overnight. It's, you know, 
Is it a bubble? No, it's not. It's, it's just it's 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 an up and down. It's a sports business. You know, a few years ago it was the welterweights. Now it's suddenly the heavyweights again. Um, I do think the heavyweights are important for for the, for the sport. So it's great to see them back. But how predictable is that? You know, did we think that? And people can talk about who the champion is. But the night that heavyweight the boxing changed, no one can argue about this. Is the night Klitschko lost the Fury. End of. You know what? Tyson then went off and did for a year was one thing, or what he went through. But that's the night that changed heavyweight boxing. It, it took it back, back to the back to the masses. Uh, the, the, the Klitschko's killed the heavyweight boxing as good as they were. They were too dominant, too, too methodical, too dominant, but also not entertaining. Yeah. And it it, 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 it lost its mojo. The heavyweight division yeah. did, and people just yeah. became disinterested. There was no real competition there. They were they were too dominant, but not in an exciting way. And it just died off. Yeah. And but th- you're right. Since Fury broke that. And then the emergence of Joshua and the belts got split up, and you know the way yeah. it's, it's gone on since then. Wilder as well. It's yeah. and then the streaming platforms coming in, the PBC before that. Uh, you know the hedge fund. It, yeah. Boxing's just blown it's, up really yeah, the last and, few and, years. And, and, and if you look at it, if you look at it, Matthew, if you look at it from from all the different from all the different places where where the, where the, let's say the money's coming in, and we could you know we could say oh, I'll promote. We're talking about money again, but the money's money's. Listen, this is not a sport which is funded by the government. It's not a sport which relies on massive global television rights deals. It's, a, it's an entrepreneurial sport. It, it depends on private companies, private individuals to put money into the businesses. And if you look at the money that's coming to boxing now, what's great is it's such a wide variety of money. It's coming, you touched on the hedge fund, this, pop, this very famous hedge fund deal behind the PBC. You can talk about the uh, zone coming in with the OTT uh, monies, of course. You can talk about the resurgence of the pay-per-view market in the UK. I know people hate talking about pay-per-views, but unfortunately, the fight we're seeing this weekend, the, 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 ta- the Progress Taylor fight, the reason it's in the UK, I can tell you, because we made the decision, was because we had the ability to put it on pay-per-view. End of. And the reason that you can see this great fight on UK soil is because there is that pay-per-view model. Don't like it, don't buy it. You know, it's sorry to be so hard, but, that, but that, that's what funds it. And, it. and that money, by the way, doesn't just stick with uh, the, the promoter or even the main event fighters. It's it's it goes all the way down into the grassroots of the sport because look, progress has been around the peacock this week. I'll give you an example. The last three weeks, the peacock. I trained at the peacock as a kid. It's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an absolute. Um, monument of a, of a place for boxing for me, the Peacock. It's it's for me one of the greatest gyms, and because of him training there, think about the eyeballs the Peacock had the last few weeks. Think about maybe the new people walking into the Peacock. Oh, I want to go train down the Peacock. You're bringing in money, you're bringing in interest into the sport at that level, and that's comes all the way down. So it's not that it just sits at the top and. Uh, and it's all caviar up there and nothing down there. It goes all the way down, you know, and that, that's that's great for boxing. I mean, it's interesting, you know, we, we talked then, mentioned the hedge fund, the PBC, the zone, the streaming platform, that coming in and they're creating this money that's around and people are thinking, well, is, is that real money? Is it a bubble? Is it going to burst? What if they pull the plug? Where does it go then? World Super Series, yeah. interesting concept. It's yeah. like, how, how do they make that money work? Yeah. They're fighting here, they're fighting there. Is it, again, some real, you know... Very, very wealthy individuals coming in, having a punt, trying to do it like a Champions yeah. League yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. With it. That's I mean, what, that's what, what we're trying to do. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think too many people, I mean, listen, the, the good thing is when people talk about boxing, for whatever reason they talk about it, we are a niche sport. So any talk about boxing, positive or negative, to, well, negative, I'm going to have a few carve outs on there. Um, uh, you know, of course, if it's negative and on, for health or safety reasons, it's not a good one. But everything else around boxing is a positive. People talk about boxing, so let them talk all day long about business models of the zone or of, of the WPSS. You know, we, we've all got to work out what our business plans are. If I was going to sit here and explain the business plan of the WPSS, I'd say uh, I'll be giving away a few uh, few secrets. And and ultimately, it's. The same with DAZN. These the people behind DAZN are geniuses. These are geniuses in their sector of what they do in life. You know, and like you know, whoever's listening to this, I'm sure you've got your own areas of genius. But these guys behind DAZN are have a Midas touch. They they started a, a very 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 interesting company called Perform. A few, I think 10, 15 years ago now. Um, 
acted sensationally well. Got bought out. Um, it was an amazing model, a complete stroke of genius. And, and they went on to design. And I'll tell you something. You, I've always believed don't back a concept, back the person behind it. And these people are, especially the, the management involved, they are second to none in this sector. And they'll know what they're doing. They'll do, definitely know more about what they're doing than are speculating about what they're doing. You know, people working out, well, how can they make their money back? Forget that. That's, that's their business. Let's, let's just be happy. Be happy that the WBSS is the WBSS bringing us, you know, amazing, more unification fights than any other promoter on the planet in the last couple of years all over the globe let's just enjoy it instead of saying well how are they making their money who gives a shit you know that's not that's not your business your business is that you're watching boxing you're enjoying it so be happy instead of working out wow that can't work you know we'll see time will tell you know we're confident i know exactly what you're saying because there is a lot of discussion of that people talking about businesses and business models and different organizations and it's tempting to do that if you do what we do because you wonder where rights are going where fights are going who's going to be covering what in the future and then you just realize there's actually no real point worrying about that just 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 turn up at ringside for the fights you pay to and enjoy it because it's a great job and how many times have you said facebook what what, what a simple idea i wish i had that one you know twitter right and and the twitter came after facebook after we all realized oh well that's easy isn't it like an address book and i can just have my mates in there a a couple of years later twitter i think we we know we all we had a a, a nice stake in twitter we wouldn't be complaining today but that was even simpler idea put out a message on a basically a mass sms you're doing you know (laughs) and then guess what after twitter came Instagram, hey, you know, add a photo to it, you know. It's like, I don't get the. And there will be something else. And now when people tell me, like, when we talk about podcasts, I can't work them out. I think they're great to listen to. I haven't worked out the business model yet. But you know what? I love listening to them. So am I going to complain? No, because I like to listen to podcasts. You wouldn't approve of the business model for Macklin's take. We do this for nothing. (laughs) 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 Yeah, definitely. We're we're not entrepreneurs. Not not in the podcast business anyway. So we, well, actually, we'll start with a rumour. We'll start with a rumour that was put around by Calla Sowland on this, uh, on this podcast just uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, he was very complimentary about you, actually. Uh, but he did say that your first gig in boxing uh, in the promotional game was putting up illegal fight posters around London. And the reason you were given the job was because you were too young to be nicked. Can, so you, con- can sounds, you confirm or deny? That sounds about correct. I will not confirm, neither deny, but that sounds like something I could possibly have been doing around various train stations in the London area, including Romford Station. I started my career by handing out leaflets at about five in the morning outside train stations for events we had coming up. And I just remember how disheartened I got when about 3,000 people would walk past me and not one would pick up a leaflet. Soul destroying. Yeah, it is. It's it's character building, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah, that's a phrase people like to bandy around, isn't it? For shit jobs, isn't it? Character Character building. building. Uh, That's what it was, yeah. But Callis Island, I can trust him to keep all the secrets away. But that is probably the truth. I was too young. I was 16. I was 15 or 16, so I wasn't... They couldn't arrest me. I think they could only send me on my way. So they used to... I just got sent out to do it. Was that where it all started then? Uh... To be honest, I met Eddie when I was about 14, selling raffle tickets. Um, someone said, he's the guy with the Bentley outside. He bought 20 quid's worth of raffle tickets. They told me about the car. I went up to him, called him a tight bastard, asked him for 50, and he gave it to me. And then from that day onwards, I just pestered him for a job from the age of 14. And when I was 16, he finally you know, let me let me in. I, I think he thought, what am I doing? Hiring wore him down. Yeah. Eventually, it was like, can you stop emailing me? I'll give him a job for three months and then sack him if he's useless. Um, so, yeah, that started there and then just went and did anything and everything, delivering teas, coffees, pizzas, giving out leaflets, anything you needed, putting advertising boards out on golf courses, anything you could imagine that you don't really want to be doing at five in the morning. I probably did it. That, that's how it works, though, isn't it, in, in any of these kinds of businesses? You, you, you do have to wear people down. It's a fine line between being persistent and being so annoying that they actually just won't give you the time of day or reply to you. But to be honest, you're way better veering towards that side than you are towards the not persistent enough side. I mean, if, if you want to do this, that's it's the only way in, isn't it? It's, it's quite old-fashioned like that. I mean, we're talking about we talk about it regularly about perseverance. You know, Anthony Queller 
fighting tomorrow night and you talk about perseverance um, and staying the course and believing in yourself and going, you know, success is, they say, is going from one failure to the next without losing enthusiasm. And it's, it, it is, it's all character building. You do need character to get to, to that deflation, that disappointment when you get knocked back in anything you're doing, in any walk of life. And it's really prevalent in boxing. You know, because everyone's quick to knock you and say, oh, it's not you're not good enough, whatever. But to keep picking yourself up and keep going, that does take character and that does build character. And I mean, this is this is what we're going to talk about. Like, you, you were giving out flyers, you're doing a job that no one else wanted to do at five in the morning. And now you're the CEO of the one of the biggest boxing companies, if not the biggest in the world, you know, certainly in the UK, Europe. And it, it, it does take character and perseverance to get there. So. You know, boy, so what, what year was that then? So that was, thinking back now, someone asked me this earlier, that was probably about 2007. I've been there 12 years now, coming up to my 13th year, straight out of school. But that's what I say to people now. Like when people are, as you can imagine now, boxing's cool, everyone wants to be involved, everyone wants a job. Everyone who asks for a job, I'm just like, just email me every single week. And if I don't reply 50, weekends out, 50 weeks out of the year, just keep emailing me because eventually if something comes up, we might go, oh, there's that annoying geezer who just won't stop pestering me. That was a bit like me. So now it's just, just keep pestering and you will get ignored most of the time because we're very busy. But one day you might get through and that's all it takes. You'll get your chance. In, in, in life, I, I believe in life, whatever it is you do, you will get an opportunity. If you stay consistent and you persevere and you stay with it, you will get an opportunity. Then it's up to you whether you can do what you say you can do. But you will get an opportunity, but you just, you've got to stay, stay consistent with it. I also don't think as well, someone said to me the other day, you guys are very clever. I don't think you have to be clever. Like I got eight, nine GCSEs of B to D. Like not, don't, I wasn't at all intelligent. But it's just, if you work harder than everyone else and are happy to go and do it years and years and years and years and keep pushing, keep pushing yourself and working harder than anyone else, I don't think you need to be intelligent. Don't get me wrong. Some people are very intelligent, done very well. But there's a lot of people out there, and I suppose it's like boxing. If you put 10 times in, you've got a bit of ability, but 10 times in more than anyone else. You're going to do well, you know. It's just like anything in life. Anything in life, it, 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 there's an awful lot to be said for f- consistency and perseverance, and just ref- refusing to quit. Go, like I say, going from one. You know, it's pretty deflating, isn't it? When you, you've got a goal or you've got a dream or you've got a hope of, of achieving something, and you get knocked back. It, it's deflating. It, you know, it can be soul destroying, and some people don't want to go there again to, to feel that feeling. But the ones that can keep picking themselves up and that are brave enough to dare to fail time and time and time again, they're the ones that eventually get there. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health. Thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast. Coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! playing to your strengths isn't it and finding something identifying something that that works for you that that suits you because you come across plenty of people who are not educated athletes because their their job precludes higher education but they're still intelligent you don't have to be educated to be intelligent absolutely likewise you can be educated but not be that intelligent um, you can be you can be uneducated and unintelligent which isn't the combination you really want but you know any number of those are if you're attractive well, but then you're, you're laughing, you know, aren't you? Kind of <laughs> <laughs> but oh, 2007, that's an interesting point in the, in the kind of matchroom journey with, with boxing recently mm. because it wasn't that long after that, that that things started to really move. So your timing was good. Yeah, no, I, look, I started, I worked on, like, we do, we obviously, a lot of people don't really know about matchroom that we probably organise about 400 event days a year across um, you know, 10, 11 different sports, you know, from darts, snooker, golf, fishing, bowling, poker, uh, pool, 
gymnastics, basketball. So we're constantly, our business is events. Like, although we love boxing, our business is putting on events. And we, you know, over the years... And promoting the events. Yeah, and promoting, yeah. And, and building, like Barry's always done it, building events, building the stars around it. Um, and over the years, you know, boxing sort of fell out of... You know, we always did boxing, but didn't make as much of a push as we had done in the past. And then Eddie came in. Eddie had always had a passion for the sport. I think it was around the prize fighter times, you know, Audley Harrison. Audley Harrison was what really pushed Eddie back into boxing, I think. Um, you know, sort of out of nowhere. But prize fighter built the sp- I feel prize fighter was part of the thing that built, helped build the sport back up and, you know, bring in a new audience, a new fan base of people who... It's like all these sports. You look at cricket and the, and the treble 20 and things like that. They're bringing a new audience. I think Prize Fighter was one of those. And then over time, people started understanding the characters involved and following the, the, the new stars. And then Prize Fighter had sort of served its purpose. Yeah, I, I don't know how much Prize Fighter, um, you know, carried boxing. That sense, but I think it certainly carried Matchroom's involvement within boxing through those years. Because I remember. You know, I was when I fought Jamie Moore. I was a matchroom fighter. I'd fought the Nate Rounder before that. was my first fight on a three-fight deal, the Jamie Moore fight, and then the comeback fight. Back in those days, John Wish was running things at Matchroom. You know, I, I, I never spoke with Barry. You know, Brian Peters did the deal with John Wish, but it was very much a case of there's a day off Sky, there's a Leisure Centre, there's a main event, there's a chief support, there's a bit, of, there's a Polish guy on the undercard. We sell a bit there. It breaks even. It's literally, that's the cost. That's what it makes. You know? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. There was no ambitions. There was no imagination. There was no investment at all. It was just. It was. It was just another thing in the matchroom. Um, you know, catalogue of sports. But when Audley Harrison met Eddie playing poker, prize fighter. Then, then the McCluskey Khan thing happened, and I remember this clearly because this was—I was meant to be the chief support fight for McCluskey Khan, and when I pulled out, came off pay per view. right? It came off the pay per view, and it went on prime time. And I ended up fighting Felix Sturm, and you know, then I signed with Debella, and obviously Darren Barker was with Eddie, and so you know, there was. And I actually, the first time I met you, Frank, was out in Atlantic City, was when Carl Frutch was fighting Andre Ward in the final of the Super Six, and I was living out in New York, and I was training with Buddy McGirt, and I'd been out there for for several months, but. That the rise of Matchroom from that point to where it is now has been like meat. It's just been unbelievable. And I remember, I remember seeing you actually. You, how old were you then? That was I must have. Been, you, you look like a I kid. I must have been nine, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, like you, like, I remember we were. I don't in think Attic I was City. old enough. You weren't old to enough be to in be the in bars. the bars. And I was drinking. I mean, again. Yeah. maybe I wasn't I was drinking water yeah. in the casinos but you, you, he wasn't allowed to even be in the bar and I remember that and and obviously then so that was like what back to, to, to 11 yeah towards the end of my career then sort of 2, 14, 15 I had the, the last few fights I had in my career was with Matchroom and that's when we got to know each other obviously a lot better you'd come out to my bear and different things but I've dealt with a lot of people in boxing and, and, and I won't even go on my quote we're sitting here and you know we're friends but there was there's a guy called Anthony Catanzaro who's the head of boxing at the Barclays Centre a good friend of mine he advised me a little bit towards the end of my own career and we're good friends we stay in touch and Anthony Catanzaro always says to me he goes Frank Smith is the best executive I've ever dealt with in boxing he said he, and, and, I, and me and my brother Shane was even said this you know a boxing event is fucking stressful, man. I'm on about you've got every nose on the planet expecting that they should be sitting front row, calling you with 24 hours. No, just think this is a given. You've got hotels, you've got fights falling through, you've got sanctioning bodies, you've got Wayne, you've got, you know, training. It, 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 it's chaos, man. Do you know what I mean? I'm telling you. But to stay organised and not fall out and get stressed out and just deal with it, and like I've got to say, out of everyone I've dealt with, talk about just dealing with it, taking it in your stride. And that's—he's a young, young man. Do you know what I mean? And that was brought into it. But you can't go to university and get a degree in the business of boxing. Do you know what I mean? It's like—it's like something you have to learn as you no, go. That, I, was, I was going to say exactly that earlier on. You know, you could have gone on and done A levels and gone to university, then done an MBA at Harvard. Uh, and that w- they're a value. You you will learn things, but it won't prepare you for working in boxing because nothing prepares you for working in boxing apart from working in boxing, uh, and that's just that is just uh, an unavoidable 
fact that to, to get into the kind of bones of 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 what you do now and the position you're in now how i mean you do an unbelievable amount of air miles firstly you must get calls and emails constantly from fighters trainers managers complaining that you're not doing this and you're not doing that you're constantly kind of firefighting probably how do you manage to keep all the plates spinning and everybody happy Firstly, I'd just like to say I'm going to give Macklin a grand for that, that <laughs> or a promotional deal. Two, you it's know either I mean? a promotional deal or a grand for that. So you know, I'm a fucking I agent. I know you should. You're like fucking Jerry Maguire there. <laughs> um, no, you know, because I feel like I've grown up from and you know, I was a child basically when I started working for Matchroom and working there. I think I've grown up and. And start to understand. I used to get really stressed. I used to like everything used to get on top, and you'd be like, oh, oh, "What's going on?" But then after a while, you just realise that eventually it all happens. Like it, it happens, or it doesn't. Like you, some things you just can't change. You can work as hard as you can, and you know some some things just just are out of your control. And I think in boxing more than ever, and now doing close to fifty shows a year. We're going to have more problems than we had when we were doing 10 shows a year. And it's on a bigger scale, so there are more problems. You know, I, I obviously deal with the fighters um, quite closely. You know, some fighters people are closer with than others. Like there's certain fighters I've sort of worked with since they turned professional. Other fighters, other people in our team have got a close relationship with. You know, I work closely with our broadcast partners, so with Sky and The Zone. I work with all our venue uh, closely a lot, you know, with our new sponsor part, sponsorship partners. Saudi Arabia is a good example, going out there, building something from, you know, literally the sand up, building an O2 basically in the, in the middle of nowhere in two months to then take it all back down. You know, so I think there's a there's a range of roles. It's, it's very hard to actually explain what you do day to day, but it's 24 hours a day. It's a it's not a job. It's just a lifestyle now. I think that's part of my thing. It's just I have a great life that goes with it. You know, I get to travel the world. I get to see a lot of things. It would be very easy just to look at it and go, oh, it's just such hard work, so stressful. But at the same time, it's actually appreciating. Look at what we're getting to do now, the people we get to meet, the, you know, the, the, the things we go to, constantly flying around the world. You know, it was actually Barry said to me when this all sort of popped off and, you know, went to another, another level. He said, don't forget to enjoy it along the way. Like, don't feel like, obviously, it's work. But you've got to enjoy the moments because you'll look back in 10 years and go, do you remember when we did that? And do you remember when we did this? And I do that now from 10 years ago, but now the stories are even wilder. Did, did you have a moment, a kind of surreal moment that you can remember whereby you found yourself part of the negotiations or discussions for a big fight and you're in a room and you look around and you think, fucking hell, there are some massive big hitters in this room and me... But when I say something, they seem to be listening. I think I might have arrived. Do you know what? I think I have that quite a lot. Not so. I have the moment where I look around and I think I'm just like a chubby kid from Rumford who has just like worked and worked. And so I think I just have that moment quite a lot where I think, what am I doing here? You know, but, <laughs> but it's kind of, and we joke because we're like, like Eddie's also an Essex, but we're just like, to us, it's all fun. Like the whole journey is a bit of like everyone else is so. But I think that's probably what's so infectious and so endearing, and I think probably why so many people. Maybe we've been so successful as well because I think you know it's like how many deals I did with Eddie when you know with MTK never had a contract. I never had a contract with him myself personally. It was never because I know he's honourable, you know, and, and I'd like to think he thought I was the same. You know, I knew if he said that's the money, that's the deal, that's it, you know, and. That, that's so refreshing in, in, in when you're used to, you know, basically your contracts are like this and it's, you know, it's like, because I know, I remember Barry saying it years ago, you know, if you, it, we, we know that we're going to go above and beyond and do our best for our fighters and if you think you can get better elsewhere or you can get better, best of luck to you. He says, we, I don't want the negativity of the going into the lawsuits and all the rest, you know, we don't, but at, and at the same point, they don't, what I would have found with Matthew, they don't, Overly, overly invest, you know, early on because what they do that they, they, they make from the get go. So if you want to leave, you can leave. 
where you know if someone's overpaying you early doors then they need to recoup their investment so then they've got to sign you up and they probably need three years five years so you know they're different models basically but I, I do think that the fact that Barry sees it I don't need the aggravation I've got so much other stuff going on in the sports if people want to leave us leave us and and and, and it's kind of a, a nice, refreshing atmosphere. I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I think, as you say, because we don't, we just want to work with people we enjoy working with. You know, like Barry's obviously done very well. Eddie's done very, you know, the successful business and not just in boxing, but as I say, a number of sports. And now is at the point where it's like, we don't want to kill ourselves flying around the world for people who don't actually respect what appreciate we do. Appreciate what you're doing. Appreciate what, what you're doing. And I think, as you say there, you know, like certain fighters, ours is like a long-term plan with people. Like, we don't, we don't sign big... There's lots of other times and occasions that, you know, we've dealt with things in the past where it's like, there's other people offering a load more money. I think one was like Tom Stalker, for example. We worked with Tom Stalker, do you remember, for a while? Yep. And then he joined Frank Warren. There's no hard feelings with us. It's like, you've got to do what's best for you. Yeah. And I still get on very well with Tom Stalker, for example. There's other people like that. You know, Josh Warrington. He's gone and done his own thing with Frank Warren and well done to him and done very well um, but you know we're just it's all part and parcel of the business we're in. like we not every relationship lasts unfortunately but we hope to think that you know we treat people well and we have a good time you know we're like friends in the end to people as well yeah. you know we have good relationships with them and you can talk openly about things and hopefully we'll come together but it has to work for everyone and I think that's been a strength for us is that we're just like you know we should we can show you what we've done look at all these things we've done look at not just in boxing look at all these sports look at what we've built and we can do that with you if you work with us Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. the best way to start with this really is just fill us in on your on your boxing journey on how you got into this crazy business where it all started uh, thanks for having me on um to be honest it was a bit of a mad one obviously i've always been around boxing uh, my best mate was john wayne hibbert so he was former commonwealth champion and that he was uh, i was always at these shows he was promoted by frank for a couple of fights and then obviously with Eddie for a few fights and I was always with him on fight week um, always look, look helping him with his tickets and I was a bit of a boxing geek obviously looking at fights for him just always just always around the game and that and then um, one one fight we was going to go to um, was Tommy Coward in um, in Doncaster and um, about a week before that fight um I was meant to go with a friend of mine called Ben Adair. Um, and a week before the fight, he fell down the stairs and, and broke his neck and, and died. I've obviously, quite obviously, and I thought, and the last conversation we had was about going to Wayne's fight. So um, I decided to do a, something in memory of him and I thought, why not do a boxing show? So I'd done a charity boxing show and um, I'd, I'd done it for, and we sold it out, sold a thousand tickets for it and um, raised 10 grand for charity um, and then I thought hang on if I can raise 10 grand for charity why can't I raise 10 grand for myself so I thought oh, I'll do another one um, and I've done another show like I've done a prize fighter like a, an unlicensed prize fighter um, and that and that sold out as well and I made a nice bit of money on that and it just went on from there and I ended up doing about probably about 70 70 unlicensed shows but all the way through that I was obviously going to shows with Wayne obviously I knew people through, met people through the, the game and stuff like that obviously met Eddie for, and, uh, and just all, just sort of learning the game sort of thing and then um, one I think it's the Tommy Martin fight I think it was January 2016 I um, after the fight obviously in the bar I was all having a few beers and then I bumped into the MTK boys or MGM at the time um, chewed their ear off for a couple of hours talking about boxing and stuff like that and then it just went on from there really and um, ended up having a meeting with Ant-O and then 
about November time, I had another meeting, and that's when we um, started up MTK London. And then from there, it's just spiralled. So those, those early shows, when you did the first one, you maybe thought you probably wouldn't do another one or you had no idea really, but what was it about it? I mean, you were already a boxing fan, but what was it about it that kind of really sucked you in and just got into your blood and your bones? Was it just the, the thrill of, of, of taking the gamble Yeah, almost? no, do you know what? It's, just, it's an addiction. Once like box, like a fighter, just a fighter's addiction, he's fighting. But with mine, once I'd done a show, I was like, ah, I knew where I could improve. I was like, ah, look, I sat down after, I looked at it, I was like, I could do this, and then I could do that, and then it'll make it better. And it's just always bettering yourself. And my, the aim was, when I was doing the unlicensed, is making sure every show was better than the last. And that's what I sort of... Um, I sort of used to spend a lot more money on shows than I should have. Like with, I used to have all the, light, all the lighting we have for the shows. And I used to have that for the unlicensed. used to have commentary. Just little thing, added little things to make it better. And that's why I was, I was probably the big, one of the biggest unlicensed promoters that, around at the time. The shows were selling out all the time, big shows. Um, so it, I sort of made my mark doing that, and that's why I, I just didn't, I just loved it. I just didn't fell, fell in love with it. So I mean, the learning curve must be really, really steep because we were talking about this and, and similar subjects. We've talked about things like this on Macklin's Take loads of times. How, how mad boxing is, and how there's no manual or, or rule book that'll really teach you how to do any of it on the business side. And and I came up with uh, uh, a quote I'd heard from. Someone reminded me of, from, from Donald Rumsfeld, which is that there are three categories of things in a way when you're doing something new. Things you know, things you don't know, but you know that you don't know them, yeah. so you go and find out about them. Yeah. And then the killer, things you don't even yet know that you don't know. Unknown unknowns. And, yeah, and, in, unknown, and in yeah. that business, there must be loads of those. Yeah, this is, it's, you're, always going into, you're always going into a show in the unknown because anything can happen like even little things like last night that the Mexican didn't get on a plane for George Fox missed his flight so now George Fox don't fight so things like that it's always the unknown of what can happen on fight week when Frampton fought um, Guitarist and he slipped in the shower like things like that it's, it's just it's, just a, it's a weird old Game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, with commissions and British Boxing Board of Control, there's so many, particularly with medicals and licenses, and there's so many things that you probably haven't factored in yeah. that can go wrong. And it's just, like you say, it's, you know, the things that you know that you don't know, you can kind of cater for, you can, you can, you know, prepare for it a little yeah, bit. You have, you have your, like, the, checklists and stuff it, like that, but then medicals and things, like that, it's, it's just unknown. It's the shot you don't see coming yeah. <laughs> that does the damage. Like, you know? like, Lewis Benson at the golden contract didn't know till fight on the on the weigh-in day that he won't fight him. Things like that. we didn't didn't think that was going to happen. It's just it's just it's a, it's a poxy game sometimes. So in terms of that kind of thing, how, how long does it take you to be able to roll with the punches without totally losing your mind? Because fight day and the, the days leading up to to a show, they're they're stressful. Um, I said you're a man of perpetual motion, and you are. You're always on the go. Your phone's always going. You're always, want, you know, buzzing around here, there, and, and absolutely everywhere. We we're talking to Caller about this too, and and you need to be a particular type of person, I think, to do this without your yeah. blood pressure going through the roof, and, and you ending up in hospital, quite frankly. So what? In the early days, it used to really, really affect me. I never used to sleep, or sometimes I'd just stay awake. I'd end up dreaming about things that gonna, could go wrong and stuff like that. It used to really, really affect me when I was doing like the unlicensed shows and that. And you just you have to learn to deal with the stress and what could happen. Because if a fighter pulls out, I used to, I'd be like, ah, fuck, do you know what I mean? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Now, you just... I just sit there, look at my phone, and, and go through like little, like my little contacts, think, how can I sort this? You've got to... You've got to deal with things properly because it, it's, it's the most stressful job in the world. You, you learn to roll with the punches, don't yeah. you? you? You can't control the controllables. There's things that are out. Your, there's no point getting stressed out about yeah. things that are out of your control. Yeah. And shit happens. Yeah. And, and in boxing, in shows, injuries, you know, people get ill. You know, it's not like you can just, say, playing football and, and one of the kids slips in the hotel. Yeah. You just put a different player on. You know, it's yeah. a squad. Yeah, boxing, exactly. that, that boxing, fights off. Exactly, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like... There's so many things that can go wrong, but it's I suppose when you're um, 
when you're in boxing, you're in the business of boxing, in what capacity, manager, trainer, promoter, fighter, you learn that you just have to be able to roll with the punches. You can't control life. Shit is going to happen. <laughs> you know, you just got to you just got to deal with it. Yeah, I used to sit at home in the middle, right, just stressing, fucking, my missus just goes, look, there's nothing you can do, so why are you stressing about it? But it affects you because you you become a bit of a perfectionist, you know what I mean? When, when you, everything you want, like I want to do, I want to do better than I can every time. I want to better myself, and it, when things go wrong or a fighter falls out, say a fighter took 10 grand to have tickets, and on the week of the show, a falls out, you're 10 grand down, you think... Jesus Christ, well, do you know what I mean? It affects you mentally, but you just gotta, like, you gotta just roll with it, and you know, you just gotta make the best of a bad situation. I remember uh, a show we worked on last year or, or the year before, it might have been last September ish, something like that, down in, in Cardiff uh, at the Vale oh, Arena. Mate, don't even talk to me about uh, that. And, show. and this is, I had to, don't I, even I, talk to I, me this about is a great, got, got, you, you could talk us through what happened that week because I remember getting down there, and, and as usual, you were pretty much the first person I saw. Uh, and you said, Sean McGoldrick's off. Um, the two Nicaraguans we had all the paperwork for, all the flights for. One of them missed their flight. Then they managed to get here. And then they've just been held at Bristol Airport. And McGoldrick had sold, like, 500 tickets? Yeah. So that week, um, first of all, it was Liam, Liam Williams' opponent. Um, he was meant to get on a flight, and he had a dispute with his old manager. And his old manager locked him in his house and wouldn't let him out of his house. Basically, he held him hostage. So I was like, shit, what am I going to do here? So I had to find a new opponent for Liam Williams. Uh, I had two Nicaraguans come in for Sean McGoldrick and I think Meredith Tom- Thompson, Thomas. Um, and then they got held in customs and they wasn't allowed out. So between uh, Sean McGoldrick done 12 grand to earth a ticket. So really it was a quarter, like a third of the show. So, and... Um, so they were held in customs. We had people waiting at the airport trying to get them out and everything like that. Um, and they didn't get out. So obviously, them two fights off. Then the top rope snapped during the fight. Then one of yes, the gloves, I remember then that. The, one of the gloves uh, ripped. <laughs> and then the ambulance had to go. We had to wait an hour for the ambulance to come back before we could start again. It was probably the worst week of my life, to be honest. It's horrible. But that, yeah, I forgot about those two things. Yeah, the top rope snapped. And, and, and you're right, a glove did rip. And I remember sitting, sitting at ringside and. Uh, I was with Mike Altamura and, and just saying to him, I, I've never, like, this is unbelievable. I've never seen yeah. all of these things happen all these at once. All these things happened in one week. I just, I didn't think anything else could go wrong. But, but when you get an opponent fall out of bed because his, his manager in Central America has, has hostaged him or, or kidnapped him and locked him in his house, Matt, I mean, these, the, people would think we're making this up, but this yeah. is, these are real <laughs> things that's that happen. That's just normal boxing world, isn't it? I know, you... you, you you couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. No one's imagination would be good enough to make up the real life stories that happen in boxing. You got, I mean, you got every cowboy yeah. and his horse in boxing. Do you know what I mean? Like from, and I mean, some of these cowboys actually penetrate the top level. Believe it or not, you'd be amazed so at de- some of the stories you hear. Dealing with somebody like the foreign agents and that, they're all against. They're all against each other you get obviously about three or four in Barcelona the fight some of the fighters are with him one week and then the next week they're with him so they're all in competition with each other fucking blocking things and stuff like that you're always in constant like constant arguments with fighters with uh, trainers and um, agents now who's got who fighter do you know what I mean it's just it's just the maddest game in the world I mean I've said it to Andy loads of times the, the, the chaos of boxing which sometimes you think if we didn't have the chaos, it'd be so much better than this. But I think in, it, I think in some ways, it's it's that chaos and that kamikaze in us that people are intrigued with. You know, it's the characters around it that makes the sport, the business, yeah. what it is. You know, it's um, you know, it, it, the skullduggery. You know, it, it, it's it, it's its own little drama show, isn't it? The yeah. fights are great. It's like the, EastEnders. The, the stuff full, going on in the background. Full time EastEnders, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So, just as an example, uh, Carlos Corrion was the, the Mexican heavyweight. You, you, you basically got over it. Was you'd sorted it out. So, how, yeah. when you when you come to recruit an opponent like that uh, for George Fox, a pretty short notice that too. I mean, how does that happen? How does it work? Well, Who well, do you I've, call? I got a phone call like last late last night saying, "Look, he's missed his flight." Um, but how did you get hold of him in the first place? How, oh, how did you... it, oh, that was through an agent. Obviously, my, my matchmaker's Mervyn Turner. So Mervyn got him through an agent. And they, they, they spent £2,000 on a flight bringing him from Mexico over to here. And then he was going to go back to Spain and stay in Spain for six months. And obviously used on other shows. So they was flying him over. So luckily, we haven't lost the money, which is 
I'm quite happy about it. But obviously the agents. But then he'd missed his... Two grand on a flight on a small hall show where there's no TV money. He's a kick in the balls, isn't he? Massive kick in the balls. So, but um, with, um, with him, yeah, so he's missed his flight. I've gone, all right, no worries, we'll book you another one. And then he sends a, a picture of his leg with a bandage on. He's reckons he's fell over in the airport. Like, it's, it's just never, it's, it's like, how can you make something like this? He like? obviously didn't want to fight. <laughs> but he's he going, he going to the extreme measures not to fight. <laughs> That's what he looks like, isn't he? He's actually, he's actually shat himself, isn't he? So, but he's a very handy fighter. He just wanted to make, like, we just spoke about it. Like, things like that, you just... I mean, the Frampton thing, I mean, you just... I mean, what are the odds that uh, that could well, happen? This down. thing in his hotel fell down and cracked his yeah. hand. It's just unbelievable. Well, he's, he's, he's going to be here today. He's, he's had two, hasn't he? Because there was Gutierrez slipping yeah, in the shower Gutierrez and then there was the, the ornament um, falling on his hand uh, in Philadelphia. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, the, the kinds of things that can, that can happen. And some of the stories that fighters can tell you, the, the yarns they can, they can weave. But what is it like... De- dealing with them on a kind of on a business footing because for us it's brilliant because they're they're so open fighters they're always up for a chat they'll always let you come to the gym always available on the phone but our relationship with them is 99% of the time unless we say something they they don't like is easy but but when yeah. you're actually having to get ticket money from people and get a and get a read on how many tickets they've sold uh, as opposed to how many they say they have it's it's yeah. not it's not quite the same yeah do you know what dealing with you, with fighters, there's so many different characters. Uh, well, obviously, with, with MTK, we've got a massive stable. So um, some, are, uh, some of the characters you have to deal with, like you, you've got some... It's hard to say. You, like, it's, you've got some fucking proper divas. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it is difficult, it's a difficult job. To, and you get people lie about tickets. Yeah, I've done this. And when they turn up, and they've only done this amount... It's, it's, it's difficult to deal with, do you know what I mean? But you have to take everyone how they, how they are as a person. You've got to get to know everybody. So it's, it's a very odd job dealing with. And some of them are like, some of them really, sometimes they ring me up and go, oh, where do I get my eye test? Where, where do you think you get an eye test? Opticians. Oh, how do I book that? Where do I go for a brain scan? At a brain scan place. Or where do I get my blood test? Doctors, like... Some of them, uh, <laughs> they're fucking... It's a very, very difficult job to deal with, the, the characters and that. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend, Rip, and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. What's interesting, too, when you look back at at the fights you had and, and listening to you talk about it there is that it was almost, well, not almost, it was the perfect apprenticeship to go on and do what you've been doing because you did it all. You yeah. sold a lot of tickets in a local area, tick. You knew how to do that. Yeah. You boxed on big shows, tick. You knew what that was like. Yeah. You took the away corner against Amir Khan on a big show. Yeah. You knew what that was like. You took a fight at a day's notice. So you were obviously in the, in the gym and stayed fit. So yeah. you knew what that was like. Final fight against Curtis Woodhouse. That was, that was a rough old do. Yeah. So you knew what that was like. Yeah. So by the time it came to... To looking after other people's careers, yeah. Matt. He's kind of, he's sort of perfect, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, how, how do you explain the business of boxing to someone? You don't go to, you can't go to university and go, oh, well, I want to study, uh, I want to do a degree in the business of boxing. You know, but it's a real business making, you know, multi, multi million pound business throughout the world. Yet, you, you know, by being involved, yeah. experience, trial and error, making mistakes, learning. Um, like you, like you just said there, you, you, you know what it's like to to feel. You know what it's like when someone comes to you and goes, I've got this fight, do you want to take it? As a fighter, you know what that likes to feel, yeah. how that feels. So if you're going to approach a fighter that you're managing and looking after, you'll know what he's, you'll know the little fears and doubts yeah, and things uh, he'll have. You'll know, you'll, before he even goes there, you'll say, look, 
you, I'm, I'm assuming you'll, if he's not fit, you'll say, look, I know you took it at short weeks, no, but the upside is this, and if you lose, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, the opportunities, blah, 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 right? You're going to... Yeah, 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 and all the rest exactly, of it. But, yeah. you know, and so a fighter can... Um, you know, they'll, they'll know that you know where they're coming from. They'll know what they're thinking, how they're feeling, and I, I just think it, it helps. It, if you've been there and you've been in that position... 100%. When you're then the person trying to speak to the person you, you're going to talk his language yeah you can't you can't you, would, you, or would you rather have in your corner somebody that's been there and done it or somebody you know as a fighter you're going to 100% 99.9% of the time you're going to want somebody that's been there and done it in your corner yeah, yeah. Or, but, it, but even in, in the management end of things yeah, like yeah. you say I mean in your corner metaphorically speaking yeah. but the fact that you can say I know what it's like yeah, exactly. I know you're not as fit as you could the, be but this fight even down to as a promoter it's like sometimes I mean my wife says it you're too soft or you're too this there's a lot of promoters out there that's never been it on nose and some and, and some some how they work with some fighters it, you know it's business orientated and we know like you've just said professional boxing is a business but at the end of the day, let's have some compassion. These fight, I've been there every side now, trainer, manager, promoter. These people, fighters, are putting their life on the line. A life. You know, show some compassion and, 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 and it's getting the right balance. And I have, I have done every role to... I am 100% there for the fighter. There's nothing that I haven't done as a fighter and nothing... I've even experienced somebody losing a life on my show, uh, God Rest His Soul, uh, Scott Westcalf, of recent times. I've, uh, there's not much that hasn't happened to me in boxing. I'm only 42 years old. There's not much I, I've not experienced. Uh, I'm not one of the big names, or, or, or but I, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm very dedicated to what I do. And there's not many, ex, you know, the things that I've experienced in boxing as a fighter, manager, trainer. I've been in world title fights. I've had Jamie McDonald uh, as a coach winning world title fights, and 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 if Terry Harper wins this uh, world title tomorrow, I'll be the first coach, which don't, has not been mentioned in Britain, to win a world title with both male and female, and and for me, I'm I'm a boxing fan. It, it makes me very proud. So, yeah, there's not much that I have not experienced on, as as coming from a fighter to to coaching them now myself. So when you were boxing, did you give much thought to what you might do when you finished? Was it always in your mind that this might be no, for you? No, when, when, when I was still fighting, a young lad uh, who lives near me, I ended up being very good friends with him, our best man to his wedding. He, he was a national schoolboy champion boxing for England and he asked, his dad asked if I'd coach him because he, he wasn't getting enough time spent in his local amateur club. So that's where... I kind of started coaching fighters, and I was still boxing when Jamie McDonald landed on me on my lap. I, I I've always had my own gym. I had a little gym, and uh, Jamie had come away from John Rushton. It'd be he'd signed with Dennis Hobson, and we were training over in Sheffield. And I just started taking him. I've always been. When you're a boxing man, you're a boxing man, aren't you? It's like when you know to grab a pair of pads, or if you you, you can see things and explain things. And I, and I did a bit of work with Jamie, just like more keep him fit. And then he asked me if if I if I train him. And uh, so so that's where I got me 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 my trainer's license, which is ten years. I think it, ten years ago, nine, just over ten years ago. So no, I never thought of what I would do next because I was still fighting at the time I was 32 years old when I started training Jamie and then everything was a natural progression once Jamie were having all this success of British and there were fighters locally then oh let's go to that gym they must be doing something right Jamie's doing well and then before you know it I, I was training in his gym that many fighters then I needed a manager's licence they needed managing so I, then I got my manager's licence and uh, I'm very close friends with Carl Greaves, who works very similar to me. He's there for the fight, and he's fantastic at what he does. He managed me for my last four fights. And then I, I, I think I was managing about nine fighters. And then I started promoting... Carl was putting shows on for me at Doncaster Dome. So everything was a natural progression. Nothing was planned. It just, I, just like, it was just so easy. I'm blessed, I think, to, to, to find something so easy and be able to make a living and, and live well for doing something I love, I, I can pinch myself. I mean, being here on this big event and, and Terry fighting for the WBC world title, it, it's, it's just another day at the office, but I still like, you know, I'm, I'm living a dream job. 
What's interesting too is that when you were when you were boxing, and we had Ryan Rhodes on uh, a yeah. few months ago. When when you were boxing, it was the time of the of the Sheffield boom. Really, yeah. there was Sheffield yeah. and Manchester. They were the two scenes that were yeah. really dominating. Matt knows all about the Manchester well, can, scene. Yeah, I, I he was w- part of that. Yeah, I was a massive boxing fan, and, and I've sat at home and watched watched Matt for many years. And I can remember Facey getting a or an eight rounder Andrew Facey when you boxed. Ten rounder. Don't remind nobody, him. Yeah, this is, but nobody expected it because I can. The, the, you'd, yeah, they made a big splash when when Matt were boxing over being uh, how educated he was and everything. And I sat at home and nobody expected that fight. And and, and like you say, oh, and in fact, what the success from the Sheffield era had in the late nineties, early millennium, and then it seemed to have gone from Manchester and that Liverpool had success. There's like fight cities. It goes like that, doesn't it? In waves, you know, success yeah. breeds success. Success, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and at, and at minute we're having, I'm having a really good run in in, in my own gym in, in in Doncaster. But yeah, the the when Ryan Rhodes, uh, Spice Boy era and things like that, they had a they had a great stable. Carl's, you know, when that when. Uh, what they call it, box Carl Thompson in a couple of cracking fights. Uh, Eubank. Yeah, yeah, what a great era. It's, it's, the, the fight, the fight city into Sheffield. It's over the years has been renowned for some, some, some great fighters coming through. I remember being at that uh, that that show. Actually, I was I think I was like sixteen. It was uh, the Eubank Carl Thompson rematch. It was a, yeah. Yeah, a stacked card again. I, yeah. I can't remember. What, it wasn't the full Monty. I can't remember what it was called. I, I think they did a few. I think they did. They did one. They like. I think one more like. A, I think they did a full Monty too, or a, they did yeah. something like a half Monty. They followed two on it, but the, the Frank Warren cars. They did some fantastic. I remember how Clark had a decent win against a guy called Jason Papillon on yes. it on the card, and there was a few. And I remember there was a, there was a carload of us that went up, and uh, one of my mates weren't really a boxing fan, but used to come to the boxing, enjoy the crack and that. And when Eubank was coming out and the uh, Simply the Best was on and everyone was just yeah. like, Eubank, Eubank. Every yeah, time. Going, Fuck this, next time, let's just go to a Tina Turner concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable. Oh, I loved Eubank. Like, there, was, yeah. there was literally nothing that I would not watch that man do. Um, even yeah. youth hosteling with Chris Eubank, I was all over that as well. He, he revolutionised, I think, that era when I think they did a fantastic job. What were his contracts? So many fights in 12 months. Something like oh, it was eight. eight. Yeah, it was he eight. He seemed to be on TV every... But I tell you, it don't matter who he... Whether he were fighting... He, he got pulled a bit for some of his opposition. But whether he were fighting, you know you were getting entertainment when, when Eubank were fighting. Fantastic. He were in some fantastic fights. And definitely, definitely a modern great. He used to love love watching Eubanks. And speaking of him, he's he's one of the greatest self promoters oh. self publicists of all time and yeah. and once you got into that side of things as a as a promoter yourself then all of a sudden you realize you would have known when you were fighting but but that's that you're a fighter on a bill and yeah. you're looking after yourself but you knew that you needed to sell tickets and you could do yeah, that yeah. but what's been a real strength of 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 your shows is in Barnsley uh, in Rotherham around your local area you've managed to find fighters who can sell tickets, or, or have you? Have you found fighters and then you've helped them sell yeah, tickets? Well, we How's have, it worked? As, as you see, I I work hard on social media. I'm, I'm, I probably do people's heads in, but that you know, as as a as a promoter, it's changed a bit. When I was still fighting, you had local press, uh, you know, you know, local press would help you and things and really help you build things up but there's no there's no press any, anymore the newspapers have gone everything social media so that's just the power of we've got of of selling tickets but uh, I think it's a different thing too I think you know when you're, when you're talking of a, a Eubank or someone like that who comes on he might not sell any tickets initially you know he's a bit of an enigma isn't he and I can't imagine he's down the booze with like 100 pals yeah. do you know what I mean so but he's he's got a flamboyant colourful personality he jumped the ropes he was very he was kind of arrogant uh, you, you know what I mean he, so from a TV point of view he caught on and he was he became box office name and you, when you're talking as a ticket seller then you're talking like the thousands where I, I'd imagine guys like guys that Steffi's probably trying to put on shows and sell out at the Doncaster Dome or dinner shows you're literally relying on lads to sell 100 tickets, tickets or 150 yeah, to family and it, friends that type of thing hard. isn't it it's yeah different. yeah it's brutal to be honest I he's like I've got some kids that can uh, we're not going to start name dropping because it's singling out but I've got some fighters that are super super talented and struggling to do 50 tickets 
and 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 that's where a, a good promoter or an honest promoter will will step in a little bit, take a bit of a gamble, and uh, if the, if you think there's something about them, then you help them along. But what I tend to do is, I tend to put two or three 50-50 fights on where opponents are selling for my main events and put proper fights on. There's not many that in the country that do what I do. I do. I'm putting intercontinental titles on. I've put British Commonwealth all the way out and on TV, just pure graft. But the knack of it is, is put proper fight, put proper fights on. You will put bums on seats. And on my shows, you could go round down on on box rec. There's been some cracking 50-50-50 fights on my cards. Consistency, and uh, where home fighters, paying uh, and away fighters, and you've got to give them a purse that the that the they might get on TV. So I've paid some five grand purses out for English titles and things because if you want a proper fight, you've got to pay for it. And it's as simple as that. But if somebody's doing 70, 80 tickets, don't be greedy as a promoter. Think about having a fantastic show and breaking even. Uh, I mean, I've got like Terry Harper sold 50 tickets for her first fight two years ago. She's done 800 tickets for this. And it's only a second fight as a matchroom fighter. We've only had tickets five weeks. Matt, it, 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 uh, nail on Ed. You kind of personalities are different. Back in the day, I'd be pub selling tickets, having a glass of pot with my friends, having a pool competition. Them days have all gone. Pubs are on the pubs are on its ass. It's just not the same anymore. We've only got the power of social media. But normally, if you can fight, you, you, you'll a following will happen. It just takes time. Uh, Everybody's different, and it's the entertainment game, and you know, try and be a bit different. But it's hard; it's brutal because there's there's a lot of good fighters out there that can't sell tickets and won't get opportunities, and it's sad. It's just, but that is the business of boxing. There's no drama. There's no bullshit around it. You sell tickets, you'll have a career in the home corner. If you can't, it's very hard. I've got uh, look at the. I had Adam Jones, solid, solid fighter. Couldn't ever do a ticket. But he'd, he'd go, he'd go and give. He'd never been stopped, never been in a fight, and he even took a round in every fight. Whoever he's been, he's never been beat. 60, uh, 64, and uh, wears his heart on his sleeve. And I had our kid, but just couldn't sell a ticket. But he still had a fantastic career, still well respected in boxing circles, and and that's the brutality of professional boxing. If your face don't fit, or you've not got a promoter that's going to invest, it's it's very hard. Okay, so that's it for this second. Macklin's take lockdown bonus episode. Interesting stuff there from those four. As I said at the beginning, they've they've seen it all. They've they've done it all really. So the stories are are pretty amazing, and and there'll be more of that because we'll be keen to get all of them back on again at some point, and more of their counterparts as well from from up and down the country and and all over the world really. And one thing we certainly hope is that we see them all back in action, doing what they do best, which is promoting shows very very soon so stay tuned in we'll be back soon with more sports social podcast network Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.